temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's Face Connecticut. We're on WTIC News Talk 1080, Light 100.5 WRCH, and 96.5 TIC. Morgan Cunningham with you and Dr. Jaime Amatola. He's joining us today, an associate professor of neurology with UConn Health. He's also the director of the Division of Multiple Sclerosis and Translational Neuroimmunology. Doctor, good morning to you, and welcome to Face Connecticut. Thank you very much for having me. Let me set the stage a little bit. Here we are, three years into COVID-19. It's been two full years. We're into year number three, and we're starting to hear about fatigue. A number of people are saying that they're feeling it. What is COVID fatigue? What's driving it? Oh, thank you for the question. So fatigue, it relates to the issues that people are basically tired living in, in this new reality of COVID. Um, you know, I recall about uh, March 12th uh, when we started, when we saw the first patient here and we didn't, we never anticipated, you know, the tremendous burden that the, the COVID can carry, not only obviously from the point of view of the mortality of the disease and the the fear in people about we don't have a vaccine yet and what are we going to do? And all the way to now we have a vaccine and we still have COVID and still ongoing. And obviously all the societal, legal, ethical repercussions of, of living in a pandemic. So people are tired because, I mean, not, not because some, somebody's doing something wrong, it's just that there is uh, a lot to deal with, you know, from not having the ability to to be certain about your kids' safety in schools, um, not having the capacity to be certain about whether or not you're going to have a bed in the hospital or whether or not you need uh, boosters. So that's what is fatigue means, what COVID fatigue means. Is there this sentiment that there's a certain level of protection, that people are safe, that they can lighten up about COVID safety protocols like masking, for example? You have the, the notion that um, some people feel that because we have a vaccination now uh, program and um, COVID is not uh, attacking you know, the, the whole population, and there is a mortality that is changing, then you enter, you say, well, I'm, I'm fatigued now, I'm, I'm gonna become complacent. 
and then I'm going to put my guard down. And that's kind of the, the issue that we're facing right now, that after two years, um, we don't, we, we're not at the, the end of the pandemic. And people have this idea that uh, magically this is going to disappear and uh, we are still in a lot of pain and, and we will be in a lot of pain because, the, I mean, pandemics, uh, we, we didn't have a pandemic until, you know, 2000, I think 2014, 15 and 1918, a global pandemic. And uh, we, are, we don't have a playbook for this, especially this pandemic that is being global, affecting millions and millions of people. So we still, we still are in this for the long haul. Now, you can argue that we are probably at the end of the pandemic. You know, some people will say that we are at the beginning of the end. Uh, but in, in any case, we need to uh, apply our knowledge of how viruses behave in populations to understand how we're going to transition to a less problematic situation with COVID-19. We're hearing some people use the term endemic. Is that something, is that a phase that we are getting close to, or is that still far out? What does that even mean? Well, en endemic means, I mean, the criteria for pandemia or pandemic is set up by, by experts and the WHO that um, suggests that uh, ABCs is in multiple countries around the world in having a tremendous impact in healthcare system. Endemic means that it's not uh, widespread as, as, as the pandemia, but it's still very, very prevalent. So, um, and the issue is that uh, some people might suggest that because it's not a pandemic anymore, it's somehow less problematic. And pandemic only mean, endemic means that it is present all the time in this place. Pandemic is around the world. Pandemic means it's in the United States. And that's kind of what it is. Now, the, the, <clears throat> from the point of view of virology, uh, there are some numbers and some metrics that we need to entertain uh, to consider a virus under some sort of control. But I don't think that uh, the expert, the CDC and others are are very near to suggest that 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 the community spread is near or zero. So we, we still have a lot of uh, um, issues. Now, regardless of the phase, is COVID-19 going to be the same for everyone from here on out? Or are we going to have to think about different groups of people, the immunocompromised, the vaccinated, non-vaccinated, people following more precautions than others? The pandemic... The pandemic uh, is not going to affect or is or endemic situation. It's gonna it's not going to affect everybody the same way. And uh, we have certain population, um, certain sectors of the population that are going to be more affected. I mean, still, the patients with more comorbidities, diabetes, um, other diseases like cancer, patients that are immunocompromised, people that are poor that live in very um, kind of cluster conditions are going to be still having a vital dynamics that is very different from, you know, the vital dynamics of people that lives in different places. So that's, that's a truth in, in um, public health. And that's why, um, you know, still the, the pandemic is 
is actually very significant for, for our patients with immunocompromised immune system as well as cancer and as well as people that are poor. One important consideration that people are starting to realize is that even if we don't have the same mortality of COVID, um, people are, are getting this uh, long-term effect, even if you're mild COVID infection. So we have uh, several names for that, but long COVID or long haul COVID are the one, the most popular. And the reality is that we're we're realizing now that this is not um, just something that you see and it disappears for some people can be uh, very significant, very, very significant, very problematic. Um, and again, the association uh, of long COVID comes in terms of the features that I explained, meaning uh, diabetes, hypertension, people that are poor, people that are immunocompromised may have more long COVID. Now, you can argue that, you know, yeah, that's no mortality, but you need to realize that when someone has long COVID, they are, they have brain fogginess, they have fatigue, usually they can't work anymore. And what happens is that patients either quit their jobs or they don't go to work. So that, that probably will have an impact in the economy uh, that is significant. So if you say, well, 30% of the population that has mild COVID will get long COVID, the numbers in, in terms of morbidity are gigantic numbers. So right now, in addition to the actual pandemic, uh, we have seen tremendous amount of patients with long COVID symptoms, and that is becoming a very important issue. This morning on Face Connecticut, we're talking with Dr. Jaime Amatola at UConn Health. Doctor, you're bringing up so many very interesting factors here. We have people who are immunocompromised, people who are poor. How is the medical community getting through to these people, these different groups, who may be experiencing fatigue with all of the COVID messaging, but how is the medical community getting through to them to make sure they're being safe? Yeah, so, you know, Yukon Health has a uh, mandate. Um, we are the flagship institution of the state of Connecticut, and um, we have uh, taken this mandate very seriously in regards to COVID. So from the beginning, uh, our team, uh, and many people here, the School of Medicine, the School of Public Health, uh, uh, Department of Neurology, the Department of Infectious Diseases, etc. We have gone out to the community. Uh, we have organized vaccinations, um, uh, um, campaigns, uh, information campaigns. Uh, our immediate team, we have gone to places where MS patients and immunocompromised patients live and, and talk to them about this. We have uh, updated websites uh, trying to provide um, up-to-date information. One of the things that, that, that is very important is to maintain the level of knowledge that is fresh. Because, I mean, there is so much speculation about COVID, but, you know, daily we had to read about five to ten papers to keep up with the amount of data that is coming out and the things that we need to do for the patients. So uh, it is it's very significant. In addition, um, in, in the MS community, we, I, I, I belong to a task, I work for a task force that is interested in developing guidelines for 
um, uh, vaccination in patients with multiple sclerosis at the level of the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. So this is a national task force that advised the, the leadership of the MS Society, and we put out um, um, you know, uh, um, updates on, on the website. So we are doing um, a great deal. Uh, and that's what everybody needs to do. You know, we, we have to find the patients, we need to educate them, and, um, and we need to be um, resilient in, in our approach to education because, you know, sometimes we think that just telling somebody, well, you know, you have to take care of you and you have to assume this personal responsibility, that's not enough. We have to be compassionate and provide education that is understood by people. Thinking about vaccines for a moment, is there a possibility that there's going to be an annual booster, if you will, for COVID-19? Will it be updated to touch on new variants that emerge? Yeah, so that's a great question and, and depends. And let me explain the concept. Um, so, for instance, when you think about the flu vaccine, you know, the, the driver for the um, genetic variability in the flu vaccine is actually birds that are seasonal and going back and forth, north and south. They, they bring that, that, that variability in the virus because they are host to the virus, right? So that's what we have to update the flu vaccine. And usually it's not the, the same year, it's a year prior, right? In coronaviruses, then the, the playbook is not clear because the playbook uh, um, has to come from other coronaviruses. So we have around six coronaviruses that are in the community, that are endemic. Um, four of them are producing mild uh, cold, uh, you know, respiratory symptoms that are, that are mild uh, because our immune system are, is, is actually more uh, adapt to it. And then the SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2, right? That, that we are now uh, trying to understand uh, from the immunological perspective. So the idea is if you take all the other coronaviruses, there is a variation uh, in, the, in the seasonal variation in, the, in those viruses, okay? However, in those viruses, because of the dynamics of the virus that are not widespread, you don't need a vaccine. But since we allow the virus to, get, to take a hold in the entire world, then it's very likely that until we declare that there is no mathematical possibility that there is going to be a, um, a resurgence of, the, of a pandemic, then we need to probably get uh, some sort of uh, booster or vaccination. And uh, I think that everybody favors at least one or twice a year, especially knowing that the um, immunology, the memory for that particular virus it's not, uh, it's not like long-term. There is a, a, a waning of the, the, the immune uh, protection, if you will, um, after several months. And this is data that is not only obtained in the United States, also in Israel and in Europe. So the answer, the short answer is most likely yes, that this is gonna be something. And you know, it's gonna be something that uh, we already have. It's, and you get the flu vaccine every year and uh, you have to probably get the COVID vaccine or whatever booster.
We're seeing numerous COVID-19 mandates being dropped in Connecticut, elsewhere in the country as well, for that matter. Optional masking in schools is one recent change in Connecticut since February 28th, for example. I also want to say that our country has a 65% fully vaccinated rate. 81% of the United States has had at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. Those numbers from the CDC. So is this the right time to be relaxing masking? Yeah, so the the answer, my particular answer, um, and it, based on my uh, knowledge, experience, and as a as a advocate for a patient, is no. Um, you know, the the CDC is um, is an institution that uh, has a lot of great people, uh, investigators, and researchers. If if you go to the CDC website, they actually they have a very complex metrics about how they come up with the numbers for the recommendations. And then at the end, they they help some recommendations for the people that are immunocompromised, and and these are uh, more stringent than the rest. Okay, now is that going to work or not? Well, time time will tell, because one thing that the virus um, knows is that the virus doesn't know boundary, color of the skin, poverty level, you know. So, I mean, and, and whether you're from the north of the United States or the south of the United States, virus doesn't care. They just go and jump from people to people. So I, I, don't, I don't know. From my perspective, I think that, uh, and this is the opinion of many experts that are um, with vast experience in the issue of public health. From my experience as a neurologist and that works with people immunocompromised, that's not the great idea. It's not the right time. I think that the CDC had to do more explaining to the people, uh, to the community, and and how and when and to, to get some sort of consensus. Because you know, I think that there is a lot of very bright people around that um, are working in COVID since the beginning, that their voices are not uh, are not captured in the discussion, and um, I think that. Um, that uh, for my patients, I mean, that's not the right time. And especially, especially when you talk about what are the targets for the remaining pandemic, you know, the immunocompromised, the cancer patients, patients that are poor, patients with comorbidities, patients that are minorities, patients that live in, uh, you know, crowded conditions. So that's, that's, that's those, those are the patients that we need to protect. So how we do it? Well. Um, we need to keep talking. You know, we need to keep talking because, and be compa- I mean, I have this word, I use this word compassionate because, you know, um, we think a lot about individual responsibility, but um, I think that you can be, uh, uh, you, you can improve self advocacy in patients and in humans if you treat them with dignity and respect and you say, you know, it's important. I mean, just to give an example, I have many patients that come to me and say, well, I'm not getting the vaccine because I don't, I don't want the government to control me, so to speak, right? They have multiple reasons. And then I say, do you mind if I explain the best I can, how can we, you know, uh, what happens? And I use words that they can understand, not, not because they're, they're you know, uh, they have a degree or no degree of education, I don't think that's appropriate to say to people, right? Because you don't have a college degree, then you you're not supposed to understand this. I mean, you we we doctors need to explain. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you have a PhD or not. We need to make things clear. Does it ever get tiring to repeat these messages? You you must be no. saying this a lot. 
No, no, no. And, and the, I mean, and the, and the, there, there's a very interesting um, metaphor or that I use, right? So imagine that's your daughter or your family member, right, that you're talking to. And, and that's why we get this stamina to keep repeating the same message, right? So because this is important, this is very important. The notion of the healthcare workers, I mean, healthcare workers are, are uh, you know, they have tremendous demand, people are basically quitting their jobs and this is totally understandable. And, um, but at the end of the day, you know, we are like the Marines, you know, the few, the proud, you know, we have to do the work. You know, when people run away, we have to go to run forward, toward, because if we don't do it, who else is going to do it? You know, I mean, if you if you take a look at what happens um, two years ago in many places, in many hospitals in Connecticut, I mean, this, and, and now, you know, people are working tirelessly and extra hours. So, yeah, and, and this is what it takes, all hands on deck and how do you keep motivating yourself to to go above and beyond it's very simple uh, just somebody that is you know a great educator in medicine told me that's called the grandmother rule you know think about the person that is in front of you as a, your grandmother and then what are you going to tell that person so that's where the stamina comes from you know i don't get tired uh, uh, yeah it doesn't mean that i don't get frustrated but i don't get tired to repeat the same message because people are deserving. I mean, I, I'm telling you, you know, we were mourning some of the patients that are that were not vaccinated and died uh, because of COVID, and that's that's very um, um, that's hard. That uh, that in 2022, we we can we have a, a, a something that can save lives and people choose not to. And we have it, we see it in reality, you know, and, and that's actually very shocking to me. Dr. Imatola, kind of a final thought here. Uh, we are running out of time. It's been a great conversation, but a final thought. Thinking about the last two years and COVID-19 since it emerged to now, what are some of the key lessons and takeaways that we have been learning in these last two years? So number one, uh, I guess that... Um, that we are not prepared for for um, um, uh, severe uh, pandemics and, and acute uh, pandemics around the world. The second is that um, we thought, in the, that me as a scientist, we thought that we had some sort of um, level of of trust uh, with the public, uh, but it's, we don't. You know, it's very it's very straightforward. Uh, many scientists, many uh, many doctors are demonized because what they say and the way they think. And, and you know, um, we work looking for the, tr the truth, right? So we use a method to look for the truth and try to give it to people. Obviously, at the end of the day, people can choose, but in reality, we're trying. We're, we're inspired to be the best advocate for for people. That's it. The, the third thing is that we need to, we need to, to be better prepared uh, at multiple levels to accept that interventions in public health are necessary. Um, you know, I think that we, are, we were kind of, we're not lucky, but we kind of were lucky because the, the, the type of virus, I mean, the virus, this virus with the transmission rate and the mortality 
compared to other potentials like Ebola or Nipah virus and other things. I mean, that will be um, a complete uh, disaster, but I mean, it has been a disaster for many Americans. So we, we need to learn. And I think that the number of death uh, of this uh, virus at this time is a reflection, should be a reflection to us to do better, to do better for, for future pandemics. Dr. Jaime Amatola from UConn Health. Doctor, thank you for joining me, Morgan Cunningham, for Face Connecticut this morning. Well, thanks thanks to you. As I said, we have uh, a lot of information in our, in our website, our MS Center. Also, um, we have UConn um, uh, Health has a lot of uh, public information that the patients can go and, and please vaccinate if you haven't done so. Thank you. Much appreciated, Doctor, and as always, we'll continue the conversation about Connecticut and issues affecting everybody in the state next Sunday morning at 6 on Face Connecticut. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.